Assalamu alaikum. I'm Khalil Alika. And I'm Zahir Parker. And welcome to AccidentalMuslims.com. So AccidentalMuslims.com is a, a movement, a platform where we showcase present and future leaders to help us live with purpose. And we believe that everybody has a story to tell. This podcast hopes to add value. So welcome and enjoy. Assalamu alaikum and hi everybody. I am Hassan Walele. And you are listening to AccidentalMuslims.com Assalamu alaikum Imam Hassan Walele and Zahir Alhamdulillah, shukran Khalil, shukran Khalifa, alhamdulillah Wa alaikum Shukran for being on our show and inviting us here to this beautiful masjid so We're hoping to learn something about the masjid And uh, I'm sure there's no better person than yourself to to advise us and inform us in that regard So shukran oh, They are much better than me, I can promise you okay. Alhamdulillah <laughs> <laughs> Where I want to start is Maybe from the beginning, where was Imam brought up? I was born and bred in Weinberg. I grew up in Weinberg. Uh, a very multiracial and multicultural society in our time, at that time especially. Uh, and I'm sure people from the District 6 area can identify with that, you know. Because, uh, like nowadays, your generation have basically uh, grown up in a cocoon in one time, because of apartheid, obviously. So I was fortunate in growing up in a multicultural, multiracial, and and we grew up and we learned the different diverse cultures and religions and all these attributes going with it. To give you an example, if I may. Yes. I mean, in the Malay community, they like to play the banjo and so forth. I was taught to play the banjo. Uh, even the bagpipes, for example, and a bit of the guitar. So, uh, these kind of, mm. I was even taught how to plaster because in the Malay community most of them were mm. building people mm. because I grew up in, in that community okay. and then how did, did Imam know you're going to be an Imam or let's fast forward how? oh no, no, no <laughs> not at all not at all um, from a young age obviously I have in 8, 7 whatever the age I used to give other and then the and then I started reciting in public that was it and, and I never, uh, basically in my young age, went to study to be a hafiz or an imam or so. You know? not, not like that, no. So, so how did you end up being the imam? Or, or at least you first, obviously, you, you were teaching madrasa for a long time. Well. well, can I go before that? Yeah, yes. obviously. I've been a quantity surveyor for about, oh, more than 20 years. I've been, that was my trade, my, trade, my profession. But I had a passion for teaching. And even from that time, I used to come home to Weinberg and go to a mosque uh, in Castletown Road. And I used to teach with two other people, completely free of charge, because it was a passion. It wasn't something to make money. Come from office, heavy day, not married yet. I'm talking about since 1973 that I've started this uh, and, been te- and, and, and teaching. And I carried that forward when I moved from Weinberg because of the Group Areas Act. We couldn't buy there and went to Rylands, got married, uh, and, uh, and that carried on. And that's where Zahid and company in that generation yeah. have come along in Rylands area. And eventually, in, I think in 92, I, uh, I packed up because I preferred my passion. So you turned your passion into a full-time... Yes. It's yes. amazing. Yes. So Zahid, so as uh, you as a student of Imam... I'm, also, I'm interviewing you as well. Mm-hmm. What did you enjoy the most about uh, Imam's, the way Imam teaches? I think what I liked about Imam was um, 
חליפה, זה היה טעם אובייסלי, סטור, אתה תגיד, you never forget חליפה, אתה תגיד, חליפה, או you're the person that's taught you, you have a special connection with that person, whether you see them today or in 10 years time, so I think what I enjoyed most of the way it was formed, your classes was, we all sat on the ground, that's the first thing, I feel that already was a step in the right direction, two was, I like the fact that uh, everyone was casual in the way he approached it, but when he needed to pull out that famous Hassan Walele sugar cane stick, he would. So that balance was quite nice. I think I Is found that it was quite, uh, quite lovely. And uh, I think what is that? It's just like Imam was saying, that generation, uh, we still used to go to Madrasa four days a week type of thing, you know? Mm. Um, and, and just that constant environment, without you knowing you, it was shaping you somehow. Uh, and that's what I liked about, uh, I think it was called Madrasa to Hassan. Yes. Right? yes. Uh, so uh, that's what I liked about it, mm-hmm. alhamdulillah. But, but on that point, Ima, uh, yes. the, the, the aspect of teaching, um, it naturally grew within you, your, your passion. You were turning it into, uh, let's say, a profession, if I can put it yes. that way. Uh, what was the challenge from leaving your quantity surveying to, to actually making that a full-time? Well, the nice part of it is I used to go, empower myself by, by studying under various shuyukh, different shuyukh. I used to go, if it was Arabic, I used to go to Professor Yasin Muhammad and various other teachers to, to up my Arabic grammar, Nahu and self and so forth, um, you know, Shardafim uh, Najjar's institution, to quote a few. Um, and then I identified certain shuyukh. I did the traditional method of, of learning. You go sit by the feet of a sheikh. So if he's uh, like Sheikh Abdurrah, the late Sheikh Abdurrahim Saleh, I used to go, besides his public classes, I used to go sit in his house and he used to teach me. Um, so he, that was Sharia. But the person that had the most impact on me was the late Sheikh Abdul Qadir Naqshbandi, who traveled uh, from Syria alone through Africa and then landed here and lived in a caravan in Fori Kramat. Uh, people will know him. A very spiritual person. Eventually, in the turmoil time of, of, of Weinberg, he became the imam, imam there and in the 60s. And that's how I used to learn by his feet again. And the strange way of learning, I learned everything from mouth to mouth, heart to heart. I never wrote anything down. And we were a few of us. And you will think it's very strange because now you go to high school, you get married, and then... I go back to the hadith of Hadith Jibril, which is supposed to be the longest hadith in, in Al-Bukhari. I can still rattle it off, no problem. And it went on and on. And I realized, hey, this is something more spiritual than just. And that's what I appreciated eventually, that Ustad is not just giving information. He eventually shapes you and he transfers literally knowledge or from heart to heart. I think uh, uh, that will lead me to my next question, Sheikh. But one of the things I always remember from the classes, and I, I actually was catching myself teaching my son the other day, was you taught us a dua in, in at Madrasa, and I still impl- uh, implement that dua up till today, and I'm trying to teach my, my son. And it, um, So maybe my next question to you is, what is your favorite dua? I know it's a difficult question, or maybe it's an easy thing no, to answer. No, it's easy question. Uh, it's still the same du'a Allahumma a'tini iman kamila wa amanan da'imu you know that long du'a yes, yes, it yes. still is, is, it, I use is it there a particular reason that you like that one? because it, it we ask Allah and it encompasses every aspect of our life 
whether you want health, whether you want rizik, whether you want akhlaq, whether you want uh, uh, contentment, uh, and when you want the power to do Allah's work, um, and bihurmat you know, the whole, if you read the meaning of it, mm. it's so beautiful. Yeah. Now that's something which I did actually many years later, mm. but uh, maybe I was a bit too scared at that time to ask you why we were learning that. Yeah. But like you said, from heart to heart, from teacher, and we used to learn on sitting on the floor. That So so that's something I always wanted to tell you, was that that do I still sticks uh, with me. Uh-huh. And um, finally, I think that's something which being a teacher, um, it has, is it a benefit, benefit to you? Do you take... Um, contentment that uh, your students implement what you are teaching them? Well, it's good to hear that you're mentioning it to me because I don't get people coming up to me <laughs> quite often and saying this has happened. But yes, there, there are some people. I remember one sheikh, um, uh, I gave adhan in one particular mosque and then he actually passed away in a, tragically in, in an accident. Um, um, you know, and then, and then he addressed the crowd and to, to tell them, Look, I went to go study in Medina because of the Adhan of Imam Hassan Walili. I was actually shocked because you don't realize the impact you have on people. I mean, I was literally shocked because, you know, you don't think of it or, or as anything. You don't realize the impact you two are having now of what you are doing with this. Wallahi, you can change a life, a single life even. Sure. Let's fast forward to the present. So now Imam is the, the Imam of the Phoenix Mosque. Yeah, it's called Masjid al Jumaa Malnutin. Malnutin. Yeah. So where did Phoenix come from? Phoenix is the town. Okay. Yeah. okay. So how's the community here and when did the mosque start? And it started in 97. A uh, very poor community. As you can see, Joslo was next to, next to it. Uh, Phoenix is a, a, a poor uh, area as well. And surrounding it is, are the industrial areas. Mm. And on the other side, the affluency of Malnutin. Mm. Uh, um, 97, uh, a couple of ladies asked the, the treasurer, his name is Farid, the founder member here, or one of the founders, and asked, you know, where are we going to make tarawih? And he said, no, you must take your cars and go to wherever the mosques are. These ladies, woman power, I promise you, <laughs> uh, TT and AC and so forth, they secured at, uh, these, these houses that you see here, these small little council houses, and they got Sheikh, uh, um, Sheikh Hussein Kriel, who was the first imam, I'm actually the second, uh, to do to do tarawih, and that's how we started. And then uh, there was a, a land up for offering, and they didn't have enough money. An Egyptian by the name of Muhammad just walks up. He said, I'll give you 10% if you can raise the balance. And I think a week or so later, he says, look, here's 140,000 uh, rands, or no, $25,000, and here's the, the money, and here's my car, just sell it, whatever it is, all to the mosque, and he disappeared. Don't know who he is. Wow. His name is Muhammad, and he's from Egypt, and they don't know. And this is how this whole thing started. Amazing. It, it was amazing. Yeah. So I would say, when you hear of a mosque built out of piety, wallahi, uh, I can vouch for this. You know, the, this is how this came up. And then, of course, the struggle was as I showed you some some pictures, mm-hmm. small little container, and the. Karagudukhana was the mosque and people making salah outside until the Adam family of Malitan, mashallah, built what you're seeing so beautifully today. So the, the foundations is built on piety and, and, and that's one characteristic which I think uh, uh, Ramadan uh, is supposed to inculcate in us correct, as well. Correct. So Imam, maybe I'm just jumping now from no, the masjid to, to Ramadan now. No problem. What's your favorite aspect of Ramadan? Uh, uh, breaking my fast. 
Look, there are so many dimensions to it, reading the Quran. Um, what I find since I'm involved with the Masjid for the last 11 years, to be able to put a smile on the people's faces who are really suffering, downtrodden, uh, desperate, uh, unemployment, haven't got food. To give you one example, um, and I do it with others, people who, who, who give, give the money, and that's how I do it myself. Uh, I go to the people I, f- I find out and so forth. I gave one gentleman some zakat, say 500 rand. You know what the guy tells me? He says, you, you don't know what this means to me and, and my wife and my baby girl that has just been born. He says, because of this money, I can buy food for my wife so she can produce milk to give to my baby. She, she ran completely dry because of poverty. And, and this makes me feel so good that I can take people's money and put a smile on everybody's faces. So we are but instruments, and we are being used to uplift uh, each other. Mm. My, my favorite snack is a potato wara. Hey! Uh, or potato samosa with nice, strong, spicy dip. What is, what is your favorite snack in Ramadan? Actually, uh, it is also a potato wara. We had it yesterday and the day before. <laughs> of course, samosa has to go with it, you know. Okay. Uh, this is basically cultural. Yes, you know? yes, yes, it's yes, cultural, yes. yeah. yeah. When I grew up in Weinberg, it, wa- it, it was firstly buba, mm. right? And dalchis. Yeah. Uh, and of course, samosa did come by. Yeah. And if I, you know, it's quite a, a incident I remember now, speaking about buba, can I relate this? Yes, yes, yes. In the month of Ramadan, we had an attachment to the mosque as youngsters. We used to clean the abdas planka, they call it. And but the reason why we went to mosque is to take to trek a scape, you see. Because <laughs> being children, and the other pastimes that the other children did, I did not. I was a good boy. Was they used to throw the buba when they make tarabih, the musallis in the shoes of the musallis, <laughs> and then. Then we used to stand on the sides, just looking for the reaction once they put their feet in. And I promise you, it's a Kodak moment. <laughs> you, you don't know if, you, if they must take their foot out or put it back again. <laughs> By the way, my, my name was Hassan, so it means good. So I didn't do it. You can believe it or not. <laughs> I can imagine that was done in today's time. Uh, they will all be armed with the selfies and uh, camera phones. Allah. Allah. Yeah, Allah. You know, but it's nice to look back and... and, and, and we laugh about all these things, but you mentioned the important thing, the Imam, attachment to the masjid. Um, how do we get our youth attached to the masjid nowadays with all the distractions that they it, are about? That's a heavy question. It's a good question because uh, we were so attached to the masjid for whatever reason. But we used to come and we used to relax here. Today, people only come in to make salah and they disappear. And the sooner they get out, the, even the better. I mean, I, I speak about Sunnah Salah in Jummah here. The people haven't even got time to make Sunnah Salah at, as if they want to get out here. And that's not an excuse uh, because they have to go back to work. How long does the Sunnah Salah take? Not two minutes and so forth, you know. Yeah. But they, they'll take a cigarette puff and that's a... So I, I am literally worried about the aspect of of neglecting our sunnah. Sunnah depicts our love for our Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, which reflects our iman, which reflects our life, our dealings with anything and everything. So to say, ah, that is my sunnah, I I get very worried about it. How do you deal with that? We have to to make the masjid more user-friendly by creating more activities. Um, 
have more kirahas. It's only happening in the month of Ramadan. And once Ramadan is finished, it's gone. Uh, so activities, more activities have to be made. And as some of you might know, uh, the imams must take the lead in seeing what the youth are want besides cell phones. I mean, I've been taking my family and groups uh, on hiking trips for, for many years. Uh, I sleep in the mountains three days, four days, and so forth. This is one way of getting the children into it. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm a keen cyclist. Uh, I, I still do it. Um, now, of course, now I'm uh, also for a long time I've been jumping as well. But the, it's more to be about out, outdoors and and see the beauty of the mountains and Allah's creation and relate that and bring them back to mosque. How would you describe Ramadan in three words? Beautiful, amazing, contented. Beautiful, amazing, contented. There's just another benefit of our listeners that uh, will perhaps be listening to this podcast in the last 10, 10 nights. I mean, Itikaf is uh, uh, in full flow. There's two aspects of, of Itikaf. The one where you can remain in the masjid the entire duration. Yes, yes. And then the, is it the Sunnah one they refer to? Where you can, you come, as you enter into the masjid, you can make your niya for that period that you're in the masjid? Or? The, the Sunnah is to do the full 10 days. Okay. Uh, and the other uh, etikaf, they call it nafil, mm-hmm. it's also sunnah. Mm-hmm. When you just come, anytime throughout the year, okay. you can make a niya of I am intention to be an etikaf. And once the salah is finished, or and you finish, and you go out, the etikaf is over. So that aspect is actually mm-hmm. ex- extension of that uh, niya you mentioned, of, uh, yes. uh, or the extension of the, the, the hadith on the niya, where if you do something for Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you'll get that reward uh, because you're migrating towards Allah and He. Allah's deen in that regard? Of course, because uh, uh, the, the whole idea is if you, to help our fellow human being, regardless of, uh, of religion or color or creed, is more important than sitting in etikaf. But you also need to do etikaf for yourself. You need your time out mm-hmm. and really uh, time out. So, so many times I go to uh, Habibi Ahmadi because I'm close by and I spend a few hours there in the, in the night just to energize my batteries, if you can yeah. call it like that. Uh, and it's excellent. It's, it's lovely to do that and then carry on. Remember, you, you mentioned a lot of your outreach programs and, yes. uh, and all those sorts of things. What Can you recall one inspirational sort of story or occurrence? Uh, I know you mentioned earlier about the gentleman and the zakat. Um, that Ramadan has actually taught you as, a, as an imam, so something you took from your congregation, so to speak. I think the, the aspect is when you go to the areas, the less affluent areas, the poverty-stricken areas, and you see the love that is being portrayed to you by these people, which, which we find absent in affluent areas, unfortunately. And we take a lot of things for granted. And I need to go back many years ago when I took a group to Palestine. Uh, and I went with the PLO into the mountains. Uh, I broke away from the group. And I took a few of my students and friends, and we went in the mountains and sat with them. And they gave us coffee and simple, like rusk or hard bread or cake. And they and uh, and there was no light. It was all dumb and dark. And they said, "You be similar." I said. So I asked him, "Don't you partake, as well?" He says, "No. The culture of us here in Palestine is to give our hosts or our guests." first the food and then we partake. Mm-hmm. You know what it is? It was a lie. They just didn't have 
Wallahi, they just didn't have. They even took off their scarf, that they had a famous scarf, and they put it around our necks as a present. What could we do? We cried. We took, we took out money from our pockets and just gave it to them. We have our Palestine here. We have our areas here. And I think we have to go. And if we take our children, last year I remember one group asked me to take me to the various uh, townships and so, so we can give fitra parcels and what have you. It was done. So this is so important. It must be done. You know, you said you obviously learned heart to heart and you studied with your chef. What's the most important thing you think your studies have, to, have taught you uh, in terms of uh, life lessons, so to speak? Yes, life lessons and life skills. You know, this is so important that it's not a matter of information. That's why when you link yourself to a, a sheikh, like a tariqa, as we call it, as you know, I, I have aligned myself from, to a Naqshbandi tariqa with my sheikh who just passed away in Cyprus. But I didn't realize that seed of Naqshbandi was planted in my heart in 1966, 65 already, when Sayyid Naqshbandi came all the way from Syria through Africa, you know, and, and the, the seed was there. It was had to bloom when it was ready, you know. So I would say a reformation, Tazkiyah uh, to Nafs. Um, uh, these aspects of 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 self reformation literally is you can only get that by sitting in front of your Sheikh, and when that happens, Subhanallah then you are able to become a better person. Firstly, because no use doing this and that. Yes, the recipient uh, does benefit from it. But you as a person have to become better and better to become angelic and become beyond angelic as well. I'm going to ask an unfair question. Yeah. What is Imam's favorite Quranic verse or story? The verse that my favorite verse for reciting, firstly, is Surah Fatah. From a very young age, I grew up with that and learned that. And but the famous surah I love because of the so many lessons in it is Surah Kahf, the amazing story of especially Nabi Musa salam, and when he met up with Khidr salam. There he learned of knowledge which you cannot learn in the books. It's called Ilmul Ladun. وَآتَيْنَاهُ رَحْمَةً مِنْ عِنْدِنَا وَعَلَّمْنَاهُ مِنْ لَدُنَّا عِلْمًا As Allah says in the Quran, and we have placed upon him from our mercy and we have taught him direct knowledge. And this is how I feel that Allah will inspire you through a teacher or directly. And, and that's why Surah Kahf, with all these different stories, whether it's uh, Dhulqarnayn, the two business people, uh, the one ungrateful and the one grateful, Surah Musa, Nabi Musa alayhi salam, and so forth. It, fantastic. Look, the, the, the Quran had some beautiful stories. Surah Ibrahim, especially Surah Yusuf, amazing story. Yeah. We've come through 30 days, inshallah, of intensive training. Oh. Ramadan has passed us. Six days uh, have passed after Ramadan and we're starting to, you know, get back to our usual routine. What advice would you give our listeners in terms of extending that Ramadan feeling, extending that Ramadan spirit throughout the year, basically? There has to be a balance in our life. You cannot be 
a Ramadani throughout your life. That is ideal. When I say Ramadan, obviously all its pluses and the beauty of it. But our Nabi Muhammad sallallahu alaihi wasallam also says in a hadith, you must take time to take a break, like take a holiday, uh, get away from ibadat. Why? So that you can strengthen your heart eventually to perform more ibadat, to be more of benefit to people. And this is very important. When I tell people that when they go on hajj, when I teach, I say, look, the five days of hajj is the important. Don't burn yourself out for the five weeks that you are there. And when it comes to the, um, uh, the five days, you're gone. You have to pace yourself throughout life. You have time for yourself, time for your family, time for humanity, time for your own improving yourself. As, as old as I am, which I'm not so old, uh, you must always make time to improve yourself in learning. I just said it yesterday in my talks, I will never be an alim, I will always be a student of, of Islam, a student of learning. This is important. One of the things that we, we try to do here with AccidentalMuslim.com is we're trying to um, create this love or identity uh, that people should be proud that they're Muslim, they should be happy that they're Muslim, um, especially amongst our youth. Uh, that's, uh, there's some youth at high schools and even universities that are actually shy of saying, you know, I'm a Muslim type of thing, especially in today's geopolitical uh, situations. What advice would you give uh, us firstly in terms of how do we claim back our identity? Uh, how do we break stereotypes that's portrayed on, in the media about what Islam is and what Muslims are? What's your best advice to us and, and to our listeners? Be a Muslim. Don't talk the, the Muslim talk. It, it, it is really as that. Uh, once you do what Islam asks us to do, to be compassionate, and, but when the time comes for fighting, we fight. It's not a case of when you hit me on my cheek on the right hand side, I must give you my left cheek. No. Our Rasul sallallahu alayhi wa sallam has, has told us, if we are unfairly being attacked, we fight back. But the important thing is, we must fight back smartly. It's important that in order to, to claim back our heritage, and our heritage has been a beautiful heritage all the years, when a person used to walk up Hanover Street, those years in District 6 with a kufiya, then the non-Muslim says, okay, that person's testimony you can take in court because he's an honest person. Unfortunately, I don't walk with kufiyas around anymore because of the, the name and shame that is going on in the world. So we need to take back our Islam. I'm sure you've, you've, you've met Elsa, uh, yes. you know, um, and I've been liaising with her, giving books, and what a lovely lady she is. I mean, she's in the 70s, she comes out from that type of uh, situation. Just give the beauty of, of Islam, that is it. You know, here, if I can just uh, mention, you know how many people accept Islam here? And you'll think it's only blacks because it's a poor area. Wallahi, there's whites, there's Buddhists. I've, uh, Buddhists have become Muslim. Right? An Italian, one lady comes to me, young lady, she's Italian, she's Catholic, right? And you can't have more Christian than Italian and Catholic for the Pope's men, as they would say. And she, she comes in here in the office and she says, look, I have studied Islam, right? Yes, I am fully aware that many Muslims are poor examples of Muslims, but the beauty of Islam I see in front of me and the people that I have met, Imam, I want to accept Islam. This is what happens here. That's why we have revert classes for them and follow up. But we have to take back ownership. 
and not let these monsters who are portraying ISIS and mm. these kind of people, you know, and then we must suffer from a complex. No, you know, the more they do that, we isolate them and we show our Islam practically. Imam Shukran for your, for your time and um, may Allah grant you many more Ramadans, inshallah. Amen. No, no, Shukran Khalifa for your time. Uh, it's great to learn from your insights. Great sitting here with you. Thank you. Uh, I have no doubt that uh, listeners will take benefit from it as Amen. much as we Amen. have. Amen. And uh, we make dua for you and your family, alhamdulillah, and for your, you. your congregation as well. That Allah puts barakah in all Amen. that you do. Amen. And uh, continue to keep us in your duas as well. Definitely, yeah. well, the work that you people are doing is so fantastic. Allah bless you. May it grow from strength to strength and even more around the world so that's it for today's show we hope you added value we hope you enjoyed it but most of all we hope our guests inspired you to live with purpose don't forget to send us your suggestions via info at accidentalmuslims.com if you know anybody out there that is inspiring that's leading that's living with purpose please uh, do contact us and remember Feedback is our oxygen. So follow us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. I hope you enjoyed. God bless. Assalamu alaikum.